Welcome to Crime Corner, where we examine all <clears throat> excuse me, all things crime, whether it be on the page, on the screen, on the street, or in the courtroom. I'm Matt Coyle, author of the Rick Cahill Crime Series, and I'll be your host for as long as it takes. My guest tonight, Terry Shames, writes the award-winning and critically acclaimed Samuel Craddock series set in the fictitious town of Jarrett Creek, Texas. Terry's books, and there's a lot of them, have been finalists for numerous awards, including the Strand Critics Award, the Lefty Award, and the McCavity Award. And A Killing at Cotton Hill won the McCavity for Best First Mystery in 2013. I remember it well. The Necessary Murder of Noni Blake won the RT Review Critics Award for Best Contemporary Mystery of 2016. The latest in the series, A Risky Undertaking for Loretta Singletary, just came out this April. Welcome, Terry Shames. Thank you. Nice to be here. Well, nice to finally have you in the show. I know I've, we've talked about it for a while, and I um, kind of effed up, but now we got you on. Happy to have you. <laughs> yeah, I was just I was thinking as I was reading the book, and then, of course, I was reading uh, the title – because you know you've got um, such great character names. Sam, I love Sam O'Craddock. I mean, of course, the guy's a, a, a police chief in some small town in Texas. What other name <laughs> would there be? And then Loretta exactly. Singletary. To me, to me, that seems very kind of uh, backwoods um, Texas. Anyway, I'll get to character names in a second. I just think about that. But tell us a little bit about the story: a risky undertaking for Loretta Singletary. Well, I had been thinking, okay, there are a couple of things. Number one, I don't know if you know Jim Ziskin, the the, uh, Ellie Stone author. He said to me recently, I mean, in about a year ago, he said, you know what I like about Samuel is he never panics. And I thought to myself, "Uh uh-oh, now I have to make him panic in the next book. So if if he was going to panic, a really close friend had to be in trouble. And I said, what better person than Loretta Singletary, who's always sort of the voice of the community of the community in Jarrett Creek? And I decided to put her in trouble. And she's always sort of had her eye on Samuel as possibly dating him after his wife died, and it was never going to happen. So she decided that she wants to get somebody to go out with. And she's going to do it in an online dating site. <laughs> that's that's where the story came from. <laughs> well, it's funny that uh, you took the challenge to, uh, you know, I'm sure Jim didn't even mean it as a challenge when he said that. But it's funny you took it as a challenge no, to try to work. Yeah. Well, that shows you, what, you know, that you're, you that you're always challenging get, yourself. You don't want your characters to to get into a rut. And, right. you know, I thought, oh, if he's not panicking, maybe he's not taking it too seriously. So in this one, I have him panic. He he panics when he can't find Loretta. Loretta goes missing after she's been dating. And, you know, that's that's what the story's about is, you know, him trying to find her. Right. And he's sort of taking a little bit out of his element, too, because he's uh, he's a bit of an old school guy when it comes to the Internet. And you yourself are a longtime married woman. So I'm wondering – Two things. What kind of research did you have to do to acquaint yourself with the world of online dating? And the second thing is, why didn't you just call me? I could have told you all about it. Exactly. Okay, so here's the thing. I have a friend who's about my age, and her husband died about 10 years ago, and she decided to do online dating. And after a while, she said, I am not doing this. It's too. It makes me crazy. It's too crazy. So I've never even thought about it, but I have a writer's group, and in it there's a man who's about 36 years old, and I brought up this subject, and he said, oh, let me tell you everything you need to know 
So he told me about Tinder. He told me about all these dating sites. He said everybody he knows goes on on dating sites of one kind and another. And then I ran into a woman that I have known for years who whose husband died and and she married a man that I know very well from Southern California. And she said before they married that she had been on a dating website and she told me her experiences and they were much different because she was older when this happened. And she told me that she spent a lot of money on these sites. I didn't know that was oh. possible. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, there's a lot. She could be spending money on, on on the sites and then spending money when you're being conned, obviously, which I think well, uh, yes, there's there that too. Yeah, actually, I've been yeah. I've been surprised, pleasantly surprised with all of it. Um, so, obviously, as we described already, you're a woman. Where did the idea yes. uh, for <laughs> Samuel Where did the idea for Samuel Craddock uh, Craddock come along, and as well as a little town of Jer Creek, Texas? Okay, well, when I was in college, I wrote some stories that I decided to set in Jarrett Creek, and they were published in small literary magazines. And I wrote several books before I could I got published finally, and every book was an almost. I get a great agent, and they would say, "Oh, this is a wonderful book," and then they wouldn't get picked up by a publisher. So finally, I took a, a course from um, Sophie Littlefield was. Very instrumental to me. She said, you know, you got to dig deep and find out what you can write. And I thought, I know what I can write. I can go back to Jarrett Creek. That's where I've always said my stories. And I can write something set there. And I thought, okay, well, who's it going to be? I said, you know, my grandfather. He was such an important guy to me. And I thought, you know, he would be the perfect man. He was the mayor of town. And I thought, you know, Maybe not make him the mayor. Make him the ex-chief of police when this story starts. And the other thing is, is that I was I wanted an older protagonist who was still vital because I have read so many books. Now you haven't done this, but I know a lot of people who write these and they write the detective walks and he knocks on the door and then there is no lady or a little man comes up and they can hardly walk they're so old they must be at least 60 and I'm thinking oh god (laughs) so I wanted a vital older man and the other piece to it was I realized much later is that my grandfather my father and some of my uncles were great storytellers and I had their voices in my head and that's what really brought me to that so yeah I think that's where it came from I think that voices in the head really comes across because you, you create um, quite a community and quite a feel. I mean, you really feel like you're in um, a small town in Texas. Um, it's really well done. Oh, well, thank you. I'm not sure that that's such a great thing because there are lots of mosquitoes and it's very hot. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, that, uh, that's the extra layer of um, scenery. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, why we you told you said why you chose to write a male protagonist and his age as well yeah. or age category. So how have you found it difficult to write? It's because it's in first person. It's not like you're third person, close third person. It's first person. Have you found difficulties in that? Or you, now you're this is the eighth book you've written in the series, which is just amazing. So obviously it's pretty. I can't um, tell you. It's 
utterly insane how easy it is. I feel as if when I start one of these books that I just, it's like I'm perched on Samuel's shoulder and I'm just, I'm just writing down what he's thinking. I mean, this is the craziest thing. It just, I have never stalled out with it. Never. It just, it starts going. I just started the next one and I'm about three chapters in and it just astonishes me the way I think the hardest part for me is not the writing of of Samuel Craddock or of any of the characters or the setting. It's the story that's hard. I have I have trouble with plots, and right. I just think, well, just start letting everybody do what they do, and the plot's just going to have to come, and eventually it does. So I keep I keep hoping it's never going to stop. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that plots, at least the most interesting ones, sort of do come from character. I mean, what's their... I mean, Connolly always talks about, he writes about his, his greatest fears, but, I mean, like, what's the... what would put the character in the most, um, you know, difficult position? And you already said, talked about him being, um, you know, him panicking. That's something unusual for him. Plus, you put him up against the internet, the world of internet dating, so... Um, yeah. So that's where well, I the think thing the thing is, is that... From. Yeah. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, the thing is, is that um, I usually try to put some kind of current social situation, uh, like, like for example, in book two, there was a lot about the way um, people who come back, you know, soldiers who come back from war are treated in this country. I don't think they're treated well. I don't think that their that their health care is handled well. And so I decided to make that a showcase. Um, this la- the book I wrote before this was about dog fighting in Texas, which is just horrendous. It was a horrible to to um, research it, and yet it was something that I just felt like I had to do. So, you know, the fifth book, I mean the sixth book, was about um, police corruption and brutality back in the 80s. So, you know, every one of them has that kind of main theme. So I think that helps with the plot, really. Yeah, I read your. Uh, you actually wrote a blog about that today, on, or showed up today, on Facebook. What was the name of the? No, isn't it? What was the oh name of the gosh, blog? Well, oh gosh, what was it? Hold on a minute, and I'm I'm just right. gonna find it. They give so me a you platform. Can just keep I can't on. remember who they are, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. So you know what was, I'm gonna do um, while, you're, while you're looking is because you just mentioned a bunch of your different books. Killing a Cotton Hill was one. We'll go down the list. The last death of Jack Harbin, obviously two. Yes. Broken Jarrett Creek, A Deadly Affair at Bobtail Ridge. These are all great titles. The Necessary Murder, I love this one, of Noni Blake. An Unsettling Crime for Samuel Craddock, A Reckoning in the Backcountry. And now, of course, we have a risky undertaking for Loretta Singletary. So just as we're talking about titles, when does the title come to you when you're writing? The titles are always difficult. Um, like, I usually have to work them out with people, and the problem is I'm very sorry that the first title had the same, the kind of sequence it did, because after that, because the first book really hit with a nice splash, my, yeah. my, my editor and my publisher said, oh, all of the titles need to copy this. So they have to be A Killing at Cotton Hill. The Last Death of Jack Harbin, and every one of them follows that pattern. So the the one that I'm working on now is called is called something about the Jubilee Rally. It's about a motorcycle rally. 
It's called A Violent End at the Jubilee Rally. So. <laughs> now, that's that's anyway. a grabber right there. Yes, well, it is. I, I, yeah. I, would, I would almost trade with you because my the title of my first book, Yesterday's Echo, was two words. And they, now, they what, since then, they've always wanted two-word titles. And that I know, exactly. That's been difficult. That's been difficult. <laughs> well, I'll help you with it. You let me know. There was a there was a, a movie what was it called There's a western that had the title that had Jubilee in the title I think it was like a Glenn Ford western or something showing my age but uh, it's funny now that updating its motorcycle um, yeah so yeah you said you're writing the eighth book in the series which is remarkable because you you put out seven in six no, years no I just I think. put out the I just put out the eighth book I'm, this that's will right be eight the yeah so you're writing the ninth so you put out eight in seven yeah. years about eight in seven years yeah. Yeah. Have you ever considered well, writing have, a standalone? Oh yeah, that's what I'm working on right now. I'm actually oh, no. on my third iteration of it. Yeah. Yeah. So are you Pretty writing nice. a standalone and a Samuel Craddock book at the same time? Yes, and a short story. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> and I'm editing something for somebody else. So yeah. Yeah. I can't I can't work more than a couple of hours on one thing at a time before I need a break. And I've always been that way. I used to be able to work maybe four hours in a day. Now I work longer, but I take little breaks from what I'm working on. So, yeah. But, but you're also working on different things, all in the same day, or do you take a certain day for a certain Yes, book? but do you know, you know who's, who did this? Is Isaac Asimov, apparently, I mean, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but he had apparently four desks, one to face north, one south, mm. one east, and one west, and he would move from desk to desk with projects that he had at each desk. Well, I don't have a room like that, but that's sort of the way I feel is that I, I stop in the middle and go on to something else, yeah. Wow. That okay, sticks, I found uh, – Oh, yeah. go ahead. The blog. I found this I found this blog. It's crimereads.com. That's right. I knew it was crime something, um, and I actually know yeah. the crime reads blog. Um, yeah, it was yeah. interesting. You talked about social issues and taking place in small towns, and you also mm-hmm. did a nice shout out to a lot of different authors, which I thought was really cool. And they had the yes. book titles and their covers. I thought that was really nice. Um, you know, when I first started, I had so much help from various authors, and, and so many people were so generous, and I've always tried to give back. I really want to. I really want to talk about other people's work as well. I really appreciate. I like that when it happens to me, and so I know it, I should do it for other people too. Yeah. Yeah, I think that people that are in the mystery community um, all know how giving and and you know uh, family like it is. It's pretty amazing because we're all really competing for the same uh, shelf space, the same eyes, but uh, everybody's always so willing to help uh, the next writer up. It really is a great deal. The and, other um, thing is is that not everybody likes everything. You know, I'll, t- I'll talk to right. somebody who's a mystery reader, and they'll say, well, I don't really like traditional cops, you know, which is what I write. And I'll say, well, what do you write? Well, I like the muffin lady. I'll say, okay, well, here are some authors you're going to love, you know, <laughs> because, because that's it, is it? Not everyone likes everything. I, you know, well, I read things. And I think someone's going to love this, but it's not me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, we've all read uh, books that we we know we can we know they're really well written, but it just just doesn't maybe work exactly. for us. So exactly. I gave yeah. I gave a brief bio, a very brief bio at the top of the show. Um, but obviously, having you on, I've done research. I learned things about you that I didn't know. 
and I've known you for yeah. seven or eight now. Yeah, well, that you worked in Yellowstone Park for a couple of summers, which must have been pretty cool. You worked it for a law professor. The best time ever. <laughs> I'll yes. bet. What, what did you do? Well, the first year I went up there, and I knew I had been there many times. My parents used to love to go camping, and we had camped out in Yellowstone. And I, when I was in college, I said, I want to go up there and work. So we went up there for vacation, and I just walked in, and I said, I want a job. And they said, well, the only thing we have for you is being a maid. And I said, I don't care. It's fine with me. I know how to clean stuff. So that's what mm-hmm. I did. And it, it was at Old Faithful Inn, which was so beautiful. It's a wonderful place. Oh, wow. And still is the most wonderful place there. So I worked there, and then I worked as a waitress, and I worked behind the front desk. Because what happens is people come, and then they wander away. And so right. at, at some point, I was working two jobs. And I'm really lucky because I don't need a lot of sleep. And so I would get up at 5.30, go to one job, go to the other one, and then go play for the next four hours. <laughs> so so I had a ball. Have you, ever, have you ever considered writing a Joe Pickett-like novel? I haven't. I admire I admire C.J. Box so much. I just love the Joe Pickett novels. I think they're That'd wonderful. Cool. And, you know, but it's not me. You know, right. I have to do what you do. Yeah, yeah. Well, you also worked for the CIA. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was, I, I was very young then. And um, they taught me computer programming. And that served me really well the rest of my life. I, they sent me to a course to do computer programming. It actually warped me quite a bit, though, working there, because I discovered that there's so many things you know, you'll read in the newspaper and you say, oh, well, the, you know, someone divulged the secret. Well, excuse me, but I I was given top secret clearance, and I had one of my jobs, my first job, and why would you give a 21-year-old this job, to read all the documents that come in, and you get to decide what they're, you know, based on this list of things they give you, you get to decide what the level of secrecy is of it. Oh, my God. Well, I read things. I read things that theoretically had to be a particular high level of secrecy, and I read about it in the New York in the in the Washington Post the day before. And I thought, well, this is ridiculous. So that's what happens. That's bureaucracy for you. Right. Anyway, I so, just worked there for a couple of years. Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, that's a pretty interesting thing to have on the old resume. Um, and you worked in real yes, estate. So you said you mentioned yeah. that. You had, um, a few a few short stories published, obviously when you were before your novel writing career, but yes, how did how did these jobs or how did how did you go from doing all these different things to, to writing novels? I was always writing. I knew I knew from the time that I was a kid that I wanted to be a writer. I just knew it. That was in the ninth grade. Mrs. Kelly told us to write a story, and I wrote a story and. All of the kids wrote a story, and then she handed them out, and she said, well, there's one story that I'm going to read out loud to you because I know everyone's going to love it, and I knew it was going to be mine, and it was. And from then on, I said, I want that. I want that. I want to do that from now on. So I wrote for a a long time before I got published. Yeah. Right. So you, um, a couple years ago, that segues into where I want to go. You you gave a great talk about your writer's journey to 
publication um, to at a, it was a Partners in Crime conference in San Diego, something we did. Right, all the time. right, yeah. And yeah. So could you I, obviously we don't have time to talk about the whole thing, but you give can you give a brief overview of like the time it took you from starting that first draft of the first novel to get published, and also you know some of the bumps along the way and some of the learning experience that it takes to get published. Okay. In retrospect, I can tell you this. This is the, well, the single most important thing that I, if I had my life over to do over again, I would take myself more seriously as a writer. I kept, I kept saying, oh, this book is good enough. You know, some editor will take it and make it the best it can be. Not knowing that, no, you have to make the best book you can make. And I recently bought a desk. And I said, this is the time to go through all your old manuscripts, all your six, seven manuscripts that you wrote before you got published, and take a look at them and see what you need to keep. And I kept right, I kept reading through them thinking, what was I thinking? This is horrible. This is ridiculous. And it's because I really didn't pay enough attention. I just thought, oh, this is a fun story. They, my writing was good enough that I kept getting great agents. I got top agents again and again and again, and each time after a year or so, they'd say, I'm sorry, I can't sell this. You know, I've sent it everywhere. Nobody wants it. And then get these glowing things. One person would say, oh, the, the characters are great. The plot's crap. The, 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 right. the plot's wonderful. I don't like the characters. You know, right. Basically what it meant was it wasn't a strong enough book. And finally, my son um, was in high school, and I thought, you know, I'm, I just don't have the time to be writing right now. So I just, you know, I put it on the back burner. And when he was a senior, I said, if you're going to do this, you've got to do it now. So that's what I did. Started working on something. And right after that is when I um, took this workshop with Sophie Littlefield and Cornelia Reed which was the best workshop I ever took, and got this advice, you know, which I'd heard a dozen times, write what you know, but that's not exactly what that means. What it means is right. is go to your core and find out what you can write that, that is in your core. Right. So I think that's you what made, I did. You made such a good point, because we have, we have all levels of writers that listen to this show, um, mm-hmm. and I, I think they really enjoy hearing about the writing process and, and the, journey to publication but you made such a good point is that you know you said well I, you know i wrote something really pretty good and and the agents they'll get a hold of it or the publisher and they'll help me make it as best as it can be well they, they don't have time for that you have to you yeah, nothing exactly. has to polish shiny before you turn it in well plus i write a, i write i i give a talk that's called good enough is not good enough <laughs> and it's about the fact that you say oh well, this is good enough no it isn't you have to make it the best Right, good enough is good enough for a first chapter. Or for a, yeah. yeah. I work with Carolyn Weed. She's always saying, well, that's a good enough first chapter. And then, of course, on revision, you have to do uh, anything better. Uh, um, uh. You know, you mentioned Sophie Littlefield, and I appreciate you giving a shout-out to her because I want to, too. And this is an example of what we talked about earlier about everybody, uh-huh. everyone being so giving in the mystery community. She, um, I yeah. met her a few times, and I, I liked her writing. This is before I was published and uh, or before I had an agent. And I, I don't know, I, I emailed her, don't know how I had her email address, and asked her if she'd look at a query letter, and she did, and she gave me great suggestions. And, uh, you know, here's, exactly. I know now, now I know how busy she had to be, 
and I knew she at the time mm-hmm. I knew she was probably pretty busy. Now I know she's probably much busier. You know, she took the time to really help me, and that's that's what you find. It's a, it's pretty amazing. I gave so anyway. her some advice a few years ago, and I called her and I said, you know, I just you know I really need to talk to you about this. And she said, okay. She said, you know, I write all day, but if you could be if you can be somewhere at seven thirty to have breakfast, we'll talk. And I said, absolutely, I'll be there. And we did. You know, she she gave exactly. me the advice that I needed, and it was perfect. So yeah, so great. yeah. So and we brushed. I, we kind of I glossed over the standalone. You said your third third inter- third iteration of a standalone you're working on. So yeah. how yeah. many years of the process is this? How many what? How many years have you been iterating this uh, third uh, this uh, standalone? I've been working on it probably for about a year. Oh, yeah, right. it didn't. You know, I I I wrote it. You know, kind of intermittently between other projects, and then when I got it done, I gave it to my writers group, and they said this is the worst thing we've ever read. And I said, <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> so then I started reworking it, and I gave it to them again. And they said, well, no, this is still not very good. So then I started again. Um, I mean, I'm I'm. I'm saying this humorously, but but in fact, they gave me really great advice and and really right. helped me get to the character because I am finding that the Daniel Craddock book, I know everybody in the book. Yeah. In this, I'm having to learn a new voice, a new way of writing, a new you know. This is a totally different. It's a, it's it's a book about a 26 year old woman. It's to, completely different from the Daniel Craddock book. And yet, I think it's starting to gel. It's I, I'm so happy to hear you talk about your writers group. Another thing that's so important that I think you know here you're you're writing your ninth book. I'm writing my seventh yeah. book. And we're both still in writers groups, and I don't know what I do with that one. Well, I didn't. Ha- I, I've always had one writers group, but this is a. I have two groups. One is of other crime writers, and one is with three other men and three men and me. And we've been together for 20 years, except for one man who just got into the group a couple of years ago. And none of none of the three guys write um, crime fiction. One is working on a memoir. One is working on a on a um, on a a book about baseball, which is one of the best books I ever read. And one is working on a science fiction book, which I I absolutely love all of their writing. It's fantastic. And they are such good readers. Even if they don't read crime fiction, they are really astute readers. They tell me where things don't work and where they do work, and really fantastic. So, yeah, Yeah, and the crime writing now is different. Right. If you, I think if you if you're in a group, you don't necessarily have to be in a group with all the people that write the same genre you do, because I think you learn from exactly. everybody. If they're, you know, if they're good critiquers and good, good writers, you learn from everybody. Um, yeah. All yeah. right. We are running down on the time. I was going to ask you because I know you go to a lot of writers' conferences, like I do. What do you get out of writers' conferences? Well, first of all, I get a lot of fun, and that's terrific. But you know, I just went to. The California Crime Writers Conference down in L.A., they do it every two years. It has been, for me, the best conference in terms of learning. I, I really like going to the panels there more than I do anywhere else because they have panels that they put together panels that really speak to me as a writer. 
you know, they talk about current things that are going on, but it is a writing conference, not a fan conference. Right. Not that other writers aren't fans. Um, as for something like VoucherCon, to me, it's just a wonderful way to just get out and talk shop with people. You know, talk about what the trends are, not just in, I'm not talking about it, trends in writing necessarily, but trends in, you know, how publishing industry is going, um, who's who's in what position, what they're doing. You know, it's just, that's what I get out of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, regarding uh, the uh, California crime writers, um, they all also they have great guests of honor and they give the best talks. Great. Everyone, every guest of honor that best I've ever seen talk. there, been fantastic. And this was no. I, know. Um, I don't know. I don't know how they managed to get these people, but they really do a great job. I'm I'm uh, very impressed with the way they do it. Yeah. All right. So. The last thing would be what's next. You sort of told us, but give us a little bit. How about telling us a little bit more about the Samuel book? You're only three chapters in. Oh, let me ask you this. You're three chapters in. Okay. I don't, I don't think you're outlined. Just a guess. Here's what I do. I start writing, and about twenty to 30,000 words in, I say, okay, don't waste your time. Figure out where this is going. So I'll put like little chat. I'll say, okay, this the next chapter will have this. Then it'll be this, and then eventually it will get to this. And I don't, I don't really go to the end. I just sort of steer myself forward so that I know in general where it's going. Right. So yeah, that's what I do. I don't really. It's. I wouldn't call it an outline. Um, I find outlines stultifying. Although I have done. I have actually done some that seemed to work, especially early on in the writing. It was very helpful to me to not do an outline necessarily, but to to write where my clues were and where my red herrings were. You know, I would go back and I would say, okay, you know, where what where have you put clues and red herrings in this so that there was some sort of flow to it? But I don't really do that anymore. They start to come through osmosis. I guess. I think I just got used to it. I got used to knowing where it's got to be. But, of course, I'll say that, and in the next one I'll be going, what? What? <laughs> but you never, it's always a surprise, isn't it? <laughs> no, the, next one is about, the, the next one is going to be fun. It's going to be set at a mo- motorcycle rally, and I've never been to a motorcycle rally, so I've been looking at online online videos of motorcycle rallies. They are really weird, <laughs> so that's going to be fun. And, and that's um, a Samuel yeah. book. It's a Samuel book, and it's set out at the lake where there's a motorcycle rally. But the big, you know, I kept thinking, how am I going to make this more fun? And then I, and then I thought, I know what's going to happen. His nephew is going to call, and there's going to be a problem with his nephew's daughter, who's really sort of being a wild child, and they're going to ask Samuel if she can come and visit for a while. What can oh, wow. go wrong? Oh. <laughs> a sixteen-year-old girl at a motorcycle rally. <laughs> so anyway, I think Perfect. it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> Sounds like it. Well, thanks. After all these years, I uh, for, for uh, I finally got you on, and it's been uh, my being remiss and not getting on earlier. But I'm glad we had a chance to talk. Oh, and for thank our fans, you, Matt. So- no, this. But, listen, the timing's perfect. I enjoyed doing it and really appreciate it. Well, I will see you at uh, BoucherCon, if not before. Oh, yeah. Okay. See you then. Right. Thanks, Terry. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye. 
All right, thanks for listening in, uh, folks out there. Crime Corner will be back in two weeks. That's July 26th when I interview Carl Van Der Rau about his debut novel, Murderbilia. Carl's in my just started my writer's group um, in the last six, seven weeks, no, probably 10, 12 weeks. And uh, I just got the book. Looking forward to reading it. But I can tell you from the group that Carl is a really good writer, so um, that should be a really fun talk. Also, if you're in a book club and would like an author to answer questions and yammer on about his work, that's me. I'd love to talk to you. You can find my email address on my website, mattcoilbooks.com. This is a copyrighted trademark post, uh, trademark podcast owned solely by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.